What have you sent to God's mailroom recently? What have you sent to the Lord's mailroom recently? How do you and I pray when the heat is on in our lives? That last letter that was taken directly to the Lord was prayed when the heat was on. How do you and I pray when the heat is on and how does God respond? If you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. When the heat is on. How do we pray and how does God respond when the heat is on in our lives? As you turn there, allow me to give you some of the background of this passage. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. The three guys that we have been introduced to several weeks ago as we're making our journey through the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are critical characters in the story here in Daniel chapter 3. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had been told in Daniel chapter 2 in a vision that he had of this great image that was out in the field that he represented the top of the image, which was made of gold, and that he literally led and ruled the greatest, most effective empire of that day and of all the empires that would follow. But that image was destroyed, and another kingdom was set up. Well, apparently by the time you get to Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten about that dream. In fact, it seems that he wants to set up an image himself of himself to assure that he will be powerful for as long as he wants to be powerful. And so he sets up this image 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and it is for the purpose of being worshipped. Now, worship was a sign of loyalty to him as the king of Babylon. He seems, as we'll move through the story today, to have a temper problem and to be intolerant of anybody who disagrees with him. And we think he may have set that image up again to oppose the vision that was given in chapter 2 of the dream he had in chapter 2 to assure that he would be ruler as long as he wanted to. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing tremendous pressure here. They are facing pressure from Nebuchadnezzar to worship this image and hence to worship and be loyal to him. They're facing pressure from the crowd because everybody in Babylon, as we'll see, is falling down and worshiping this image. And they're in a foreign land. So why not join the crowd and do what everybody else is doing? Verse 8, we'll see that there seems to be some jealousy that is behind the accusations that are made against them. And verse 12, they make an accusation against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that nobody is paying any attention. Excuse me, that they are paying absolutely no attention to what the king says, which is an exaggeration. They are obeying everything that Nebuchadnezzar says except for the rule to fall down and worship his image. Now, as we move to the third chapter, you're going to see some lists. In fact, I'm not going to repeat the list every time they're read because they're fairly... Um, long list, but there's a reason for these lists that repeat over and over and over again. He's trying, the author is trying to make an emphasis here that there's a whole lot of leaders that are watching what is transpiring here, and you're going to see a bunch of instruments that are listed repeated times over, and the purpose of that is to say that every style of music in the kingdom of Babylon that was known to the folks was being utilized to worship the king. In other words, everybody was worshiping the image. All of the leadership and authority was worshiping the image. And everybody was worshiping using every type of music that they had. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 7 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura. We're not exactly sure where that was located in the providence of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together... And here we go with our first list, the satraps, the perfects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the 
justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providences to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In other words, everyone who was in any kind of leadership position in Babylon came to the dedication of the image. And then that group of folks that are there gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You were commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of all those various instruments, they fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. That's where this jealousy is seeping in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound, and he repeats those various instruments, and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Key question, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son 
of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the perfects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. As we move through the story, and it begins to unfold, we see first of all that when the heat is on, God often seems distant. When the heat is on, God often seems distant. Those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are in this foreign land of Babylon. And this decree comes that when you hear all this music playing, you're to go out here in this plane, you're to fall down, and you are to worship God. And if you do, excuse me, worship the image. And if you do not worship the image, you're going to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, and commit loyalty complete loyalty to the Lord, they refuse to do that. And so, they're reported on. They are taken. And they are bound. And they are thrown into the furnace. And the question comes, if you and I had been watching this scene unfold, and the question must have gone through their minds, where is God? Where is God when Nebuchadnezzar ignores the dream that was revealed in Daniel chapter 2, and he learned who the great God of this world was. Where is that God now? Where is God when he builds the image? Where is God when the decree is put out there? Where is God when they refuse to obey and their loyalty to God is responded to by being reported on, taken before the king, and now they're going to be thrown into a burning fire furnace? Where is God as their bodies fly through the air and all they see is all that fire up in front of them? Where is God when they fly into that furnace and fall down in it? And how many times do you and I understandably ask the question, where is God? Because see, following the Lord and serving the Lord is a faith walk. So where is God in the midst of this? Nebuchadnezzar looks at them, and my sermon outline is in your bulletin. I invite you to follow along. Nebuchadnezzar looks at them as they stand before him, defying his decree, not worshiping this image that he has set up. And he looks at them and he asks them a question. Who's going to deliver you out of my hand? Now in those days, the expression hand spoke of control. And what Nebuchadnezzar is saying as he looks at these three guys is, who probably would have been around 16, 17 years of age, you're in my kingdom and you're in my control. So who's going to deliver you from being in my kingdom and who's going to deliver you from me controlling who you are and where you go and what happens to you? Who's more powerful than I am? And they would understandably must have thought and asked the question, who is going to deliver us out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand? Now, 
Notice beginning with verse 17. Their loyalty even in the midst of the heat being on. They realize that the evidence of the presence of the Lord is understood as deliverance. In other words, God, when he manifests himself in our lives, will always do so in some type of deliverance. Now notice what they say in verse 17 in response to Nebuchadnezzar. He looks at them and he says, you're in my hand. And who is the God who's going to deliver you out of my hand? But they respond and say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Notice the word serve that keeps being used over and over again. They understood themselves as being servants of the Lord. That at the end of the day, who they were and what they were was simply servants of the Lord. And when the heat is on, we will stay faithful to the Lord Jesus simply because we understand ourselves as being his servants. Lord, I serve you. You see, they realized that God had already delivered them from the most important obstacle that they faced. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't the image. It wasn't even all the people that were worshiping the image. What they needed deliverance from was fear and intimidation. The fear of losing their life. The fear of being thrown into that furnace. The intimidation of the king. The intimidation of the crowd. The intimidation of public opinion. They realized that the greatest obstacle that they faced was fear and intimidation. And they had already been delivered from the fear and the intimidation. Folks, when you and I get delivered from fear and intimidation in our lives, whatever the cause of the fear is and whatever the cause of the intimidation is, we are then walking in deliverance. So many people have got a whole lot of stuff going in life, but they haven't been delivered from fear. When God delivers you from fear, whatever the fear is, then you are free to serve the Lord and follow Him, whatever God calls you to do. Notice verse 18, they said, we will not serve your gods. We're going to be loyal to the Lord no matter what. Yes, there's going to be a price that's going to be paid. You see, it was okay. It's okay to always keep belief and service to the Lord private, private matter. But when you decide that you're going to step out and serve the Lord and you're going to follow him, that's when the heat is on. The dedication that we have to say is, you know, I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what. Because often our dedication is going to be met with all kinds of opposition. Now, in this story, God delivers them. And we'll see how that unfolds in a moment. But sometimes God does not deliver the way we like for Him to deliver. Our faith in the Lord... And this is where we all struggle. Cannot be based on getting the outcomes that we want and desire. If our faith in the Lord is based solely on seeing and experiencing the outcomes that we want. God, I prayed for this. Give me this. Then our faith is not going to make it. Our faith is based on what he has already done. Not the outcomes that we are desiring for him to achieve. When those three guys stood before Nebuchadnezzar. 
They were loyal to God not because they knew that God was absolutely going to deliver them from that furnace. But they were faithful to God because they knew that God had already created this world. That God had already gotten them to Babylon. That God had been faithful to take care of them. That God was God, that he was who he said he was be, is because of what he had already done, not because of the outcome that they would want. And when you go over to the book of Acts, the passage that was read at the beginning of this service, you see Stephen, who was faithful to God, who was one of the leaders in the early church. Stephen is taken in Acts chapter 7 outside the city of Jerusalem, and he is beaten up. He's thrown down. They begin to stone him. Stephen has a vision of God. Stephen dies out there outside of Jerusalem. He has a vision of the Lord as he's standing there. Of Jesus ready to receive him into heaven. It says that there was a guy by the name of Saul that was standing there. Holding his garments. Watching Stephen die. That Saul later became Paul who wrote most of the New Testament and really believe that a main reason or one of the main reasons that Saul decided to follow the Lord was because of the example he saw in Stephen. Why does God deliver miraculously sometimes and at other times doesn't? Why do we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that ends the way that it does with them delivered from the fiery furnace? And we have the story of Stephen that his story ends on this earth in a bloody mess outside of the city of Jerusalem. I think there's only one answer. And that is God works deliverance based on what brings him the most glory. God works deliverance in the way that he carries it out based on what brings him the most glory. In Daniel chapter 3, he gets the most glory by bringing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. In Acts chapter 7, he gets the most glory by allowing his servant to be stoned to death, to die, and in so doing impress upon Saul what it means to watch a guy give up his life for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that impacted Saul, who later found Jesus as his Savior and became one of the great leaders, if not the greatest leader of the early church. And where we tend to struggle is the outcomes that we want to prayer, and when the heat is on, are not always the outcomes that bring the greatest glory to God. And God will work in our lives according to what brings Him the most glory. And trying to get to that place for all of us is an intense struggle to get there. And it's easy to walk away from faith because so often it's hard to see and understand. How is God going to get glory out of this outcome that seems to be unraveling in front of me? But that is how the Lord works. Now, notice that when the heat is on, Jesus is always going to be there. Verse 25. Nebuchadnezzar is standing there. These guys have been thrown into the furnace. He's standing there getting ready to watch them burn up. The guys that throw these three men in, or big husky guys, they get burned up themselves. The fire is so great, it leaps out of the burning fiery furnace and burns those guys up. And so Shadrach and Meshach fall into the burning fire furnace, and he looks in there expecting to see them getting burned up, and he cannot believe what he sees. Nebuchadnezzar sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are in the furnace, standing up, doing just fine. And then he says, looks at the folks that are around him, and he says, didn't I throw three guys in there, and there's a fourth guy in there, and they're walking around, and everybody seems to be doing just fine. And he says, the fourth guy 
looks like a son of the gods. Now, he didn't know how to recognize the Lord Jesus. All he knew was when he looked in there, that fourth guy looked like he was a son of the gods. He wasn't a son of the gods. He was the son of the only God. And he sees Jesus walking around in there. And the term walking, when you see that in Scripture, it speaks of the active, direct presence of God among his people. In other words, this idea of Jesus walking around in there speaks of his active direct presence with those guys. It's fascinating in the New Testament, Jesus is the most persistent walker in the Bible. Every time you see him just about, he is walking somewhere. He's on his way somewhere, coming back from somewhere, walking to something. It's always talking about Jesus walking, Jesus walking, and Jesus walking. Why is he always walking somewhere? Because he's trying to say by all that walking, God is here God is among you. His presence is right here with you. Notice what it happens. It says that he's walking around in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes God says to us, I'm not going to take you out of the fire, but I'm going to walk around with you in the fire. Now, what most of us want God to do is get rid of the fire. We want to be delivered from the fire. And so our prayers tend to go, God, get me out of this jam. God, get me out of this fire. Lord, could you remove the heat? But sometimes God says to us, I'm not going to take you out of the fire. But I'm going to walk with you in the fire. The Lord will never allow you to walk one second in the heat without Him. He will never allow you to be in the furnace one second without Him. And as they were walking around in the furnace with the Lord Jesus, can you imagine the experience that they were having? Now, if I was one of those guys, I'd have been tempted to say, God, are you going to get us out of here and get us out of here in a hurry? And the Lord would have said, no, we're going to walk around in the furnace. Walk around in the furnace? Yep, because I've got power over the flames, and they're not going to hurt you. So we don't need to get out of here. Because there's nothing in this furnace that's more powerful than me. So we can take our time. We can walk around in here because I am Lord in the furnace. So when God doesn't take you out of the furnace, it's because He's with you in the heat. And He's walking around with us in the heat. And the walking means He's got it under control. Now notice the characteristics that Nebuchadnezzar saw about these guys. First of all, it says that they were walking around unbound. In other words, what had bound them up and they were thrown in there, they had been unbound. When the Lord walks with us, He always unbounds us. He sets us free. Again, it says that they were walking. They weren't running around with their hair on fire. It was calm, normal, No panic. Think about some of the walking that goes on in Scripture. Back in the book of Genesis, it says that God came down in the cool of the evening and He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. The day that Jesus rose from the dead, He joined two of His disciples on the road to Emmaus and they walked calmly down the road as he explained the scriptures to them about who he was. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4, he says to the faithful in Sardis that he, they will walk with me dressed 
in white, which represents purity. He loves to walk with us. He says they are not hurt. They're unbound. They're walking around with him. They are not hurt. Nebuchadnezzar, when he brings them out, notice verse 26 how he identifies them. He brings them out of that furnace and he looks at him. He says, You're servants of the Most High God. You're servants of the Most High God. You didn't serve me, you served him, and he brought you out of the fire. Now, that is a compliment. You are servants of the Most High God. And God allows us sometimes to be in a furnace and to walk with Him in that furnace so that folks will look at our lives and say, they are servants of the Most High God. Verse 27, He remarks, The fire had no power over their bodies. Their hair is not singed. Nebuchadnezzar walking around them. Looking at them. I can imagine him reaching out and touching their hair on their head. Says, your hair is not even singed. He looked at their clothes. He says, your cloaks are not harmed. He says, there's no smell of fire on them. No smell of fire on them. Have you ever been to a, a cookout? Some type of outdoor event where there is a, a fire pit. And you sit around the fire pit. This past Thursday, I had a friend of mine invited me to an outdoor prayer meeting Thursday morning. And he had a fire pit. And when I walked up, he had several chairs around. And, and uh, he says, you take any chairs you want. I looked at him. I said, what direction is the wind blowing? Because I don't want to sit here and have all this smoke blowing in my direction. And he said, well, I think it's blowing uh, to the west, which it was at the time. So I sat down in the seat that was to the east. And then the wind changed. And it started blowing east, and so I had smoke blowing in my direction. And by the time I left there, uh, I, I smelled like I had been uh, in the midst of a fire all day. These guys, it says, they had no smell of fire on them. Now, follow what I'm about to say. When Nebuchadnezzar brought them out of that furnace, and he looked at their hair, and it wasn't singed. He looked at their clothes, and they weren't burned up. He smelled them, and he couldn't smell any smoke on them at all. They had been in the furnace, but they did not carry any characteristics of the furnace. They carried the characteristics of being in the presence of God. Though they had been in the furnace, they didn't have furnace smell. And furnace looks, they had Jesus smell and Jesus looks. As Nebuchadnezzar walked around them, he didn't see fire, he didn't see smoke, he didn't smell it, he didn't see it, he couldn't touch it. But what he did smell, what he did touch, what he did see was the presence of the Son of God. And folks, what the Lord wants to do in us and through us and around us when the heat is on in our lives is that we walk out of those situations and even through them not with the smoke of the experience on us but the smell and the looks and the sounds that we have been in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they carried on them that day. 
Notice what he says in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar looks at him and he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then notice what he says. He says, he sent his angel to take care of them. He delivered, that is, God delivered his servants. They set aside the king's command. They yielded up their bodies. And there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Now, how in the world do you and I know that God is capable of rescuing us? How do you and I know that God is able to walk with us in the furnace? We say, nice story. I remember as a kid learning this. But how do we know that God would even do this in our lives today in 2020? One simple answer, the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that A, he is alive, B, he is active and on the move. And he is invading our lives, invading our furnaces, and he is there to walk with us. And he is alive and he is well to do that because he has risen from the dead. Brian Chappelle tells the story of a Christian miner who was injured at a young age. He became an invalid who spent his time watching from a window from his bed as life passed by. He watched as men his own age prospered, raised families, and had grandchildren. And he watched his own body wither, his house crumble, and his life waste away. One day, when the bedridden miner was quite old, a younger man came to visit him. I hear you believe in God and claim that he loves you. How can you believe such things after all that has happened to you? Don't you sometimes doubt God's love? The old man hesitated and then he smiled. Yes, it's true. Sometimes Satan comes calling on me in this fallen down house of mine. He sits right here by my bed where you are sitting now. He points out my window to the men I once worked with who were still strong, active, and he asks... Does Jesus love you? Then Satan cast a jeering glance around my tattered room as he points to the fine homes of my friends across the street and asks again, Does Jesus love you? Then at last, Satan points to the grandchild of a friend of mine, a man who has everything I do not, and Satan waits for the tear in my eye before he whispers in my ear, Does Jesus really love you? And what do you say when Satan speaks to you that way, asked the young man. The old miner said, I take Satan by the hand. I lead him in my mind to a hill far away called Calvary. There I point to the thorn-tortured brow, to the nail-pierced hands and feet, and to the spear-wounded side. And then I say, Satan, you tell me, doesn't Jesus Love me. Doesn't Jesus love me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us, even in the furnace, and that you are with us in the furnace, and that, Lord, we can walk out not with the smell of the furnace on us, 
not with the signs of the fire on us, but the signs of the Son of God, whose presence we have been in. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you are listening or watching through any of our social media opportunities, or if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer to Him. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you this day. And I will choose to follow you and walk with you. In your name, amen.